0: All right, so I guess first thing I want to talk about because we haven't really talked about this. Um, well, we kind of did briefly through text, but like how, seriously though, like how are you doing all this? You know, the crazy, being stuck at home, everything being shut down. Like, what's it look like for you? Because I know you have a roommate and a dog. So, like, what's 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 going on in your world? Oof
1: no doubt probably probably the most important part has been has been the roommate and the and the dog so it you know just having the, the little animal to freaking cuddle up with and give some bear hugs every once in a while yeah that's nice uh this is this is pretty weird it's it's kind of okay because personally i'm an introvert so it doesn't feel like an insane amount of impact but when you Like, think about the subtle things to just get outside. It's not as comfortable as it once was. So I'm feeling a bit funny about that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I actually got to
0: a point (laughs) a few days ago where I was on the the Dallas ASPCA website, and I was looking at pictures. I was definitely window shopping. Um, But I just knew, um, you know, at some point, this will all be over. And, like, it'd be really good for me right now to have a dog and i think it did work and especially if it was you know at that adolescent stage where it hasn't potty trained and all that like i have all the time in the world now to take care of that but i just knew like once we were back to reality i don't i don't think i would have been able to juggle um having a dog but it was definitely um Nice. So I guess with, with you, I think, you know, you told me previously your kind of routine is you go to the grocery store almost every day and just kind of get things on a as needed basis. Like, I feel like Justin probably had y'all stocked up from day one.
1: <laughs> so, so definitely yes. Yes. To the, the part about going daily, you know, moving from like Orlando to and and being in the College City part of Orlando to now being in Dallas, and when you live in this area, you can walk to grocery stores really easily. So that's been it's been like the last three years. Uh, to answer your second part, no, <laughs> uh, surprisingly, you know, it's still right across the street. But I think we're just eating a bit more efficiently, which has been shocking. You'd assume it's harder to get exercise and like watch your stuff, but I feel you know, the quarantine has kind of put on this this sort of a uh, feeling that you need to actually maybe eat a little better. Or at least if you're going to cook, be like putting effortful cooking uh, first. Dude, that's the one thing
0: that is funny because I feel like I should have been set up in a place to, to win no matter what. Because um, you, you know me, like everything I get – is I, th- the most efficient thing to do. Uh, probably not the most cost-effective, but definitely the most time-efficient, I would say. Um, so, you know, my Tavala oven has been... It's come in handy so many times. Um, because... Um, and I, I guess I'll just ask you this. Were you one of the people that <laughs> literally and figuratively got caught with their pants down Um when all the toilet paper was just gone from the stores.
1: (laughs) You know, we just we we ran out of paper towels, but we were actually prepared on the other end. So the TP was not a problem. How about you?
0: Uh so it's funny because um I had I think the week before all this had got pretty serious, I um went to the store and I'm kind of the same as you, like I go to the store fairly often. So, when I go and buy, I buy small amounts. So, um, I went the week before all this had even seen that it was going to get this serious. And I think I bought two four-packs of toilet paper. Um, I actually would have got... I I ideally try to get like a six-pack, but they didn't have that. So, I was like, I'll just get two four-packs and two single roll paper towels um and then it got serious and i was like well it, we'll see what happens in a week in my mind it's kind of like um so in college before we you know we discovered technology we would have to physically go and get student football season tickets and they had enough but it was just like The line people would camp out the night before and the lines would be so long. And it's like, I could do that and stay in line for hours or I can go, you kind of do the math and you say, how long is it going to take all those people to get through the line? And then I'm going to go after I think they got through the line. And so (laughs) in my head, I was like, what's the supply chain for toilet paper at grocery stores? Like, I'm just going to wait a week to 10 days. When everybody has gone crazy. They're stocked up. And then the stores have replenished. I'm just going to. Mosey on in. Get me a nice 12 to 24 pack. And you know. Call it. Um, I've yet to see a single store. Replenish. Any paper products. Or cleaning products. Really in the last month. And I, and that was one day where I went to a Kroger, which is what I usually go to anyway, mm-hmm. CVS, and then Target, every single one. And this was probably two or three weeks after the original hit. And then it, they were still... Um, so, of course, you know, I did my research because um, I was like, I don't want to get... At, at that point, I had already run out of paper towels. And I was on the on the the downtrend and I knew I didn't have that much runway left for toilet paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went into like panic mode. And I was like, even if I find something that would take three weeks to get here, I still think I'm in the clear because I have about five weeks of toilet paper left. Um, and that's the benefit of living alone. Um, so I've actually found this website, which I think I told you about. It's a a direct-to-consumer toilet paper company. It's called Peach Goods. um, Oh, right, right. And they um, are, you know, a luxury toilet paper brand. And, And that was kind of the mindset. And I'll get into, you know, this in a few minutes with you. But I was like, everybody is on the foot running to places where they can physically grab stuff. I'm going to sit at home and just scour the <laughs> you know the back holes of the Internet that most people probably don't really know about because nobody is usually shopping for luxury toilet paper. Like that's not a mass thing that the everyday consumer is looking. So I went to and I'll give you my hacks, you know, in case you or one of the two people that may listen to this. Uh, may need so peach goods is gonna come at a premium but i think it's a reasonable premium so so it's I been
1: delivered and, and you got your peach goods covered
0: yeah so it's okay, been okay so you've got you gotta get where
1: you're headed <laughs> I,
0: I actually still have one roll left of the regular paper toilet paper so i haven't made it there yet but when i took it out of the box first of all i would just say packaging. 9 out of 10. Um, and then the feel of it, like just on my hand, is so soft. It's, which I didn't, I mean, most toilet paper, like the bougie stuff is two ply. This is triple ply. Um, so kind of curious to see where that's going to go. So they had an option and, I knew very on because the same thing happened to me on a previous website where they weren't taking any new customers. But if you were a previous customer, you were taken care of. So they had an option to buy six, 12 or 24. If you bought six, the average price per roll ended up being three dollars. If you bought 24, which is what I did. The average price ended up being like two twenty five per roll, which is definitely a premium. But like in the scope of things, I feel like that is reasonable because um, it's not like a pandemic tax, like you've seen where people, you know, mass buying sanitizer for a dollar and selling it for twenty. I think it's it, it would cost that much regardless. So like I I don't think it was too too much out of place. No. Um, and I went ahead and actually said, we're going to do the subscription thing. And I'm at least going to ride it out for two months because that would be 48 rolls of toilet paper. So <laughs> I should be good.
1: You really sound covered.
0: Yeah, for the rest of 2020, um, if not pretty close to the end. And then there's this company that I've been following, which is similar to a company that you kind of referred to me. But this company is called Public Goods. And I've actually... Follow them for a little bit. Okay,
1: publicans.
0: They've kind of, I'm, I'm not sure you're familiar with it, mm, but no, no. kind of deemed themselves as the Costco for millennials. So all of their stuff is private label. Um, they don't have a lo- uh, lot of items, but they pretty much have you covered on the essentials. So that was the only place that I've been able to find hand sanitizer, hand soap, um, and then paper towels. That was the other big thing because I ended up just getting <laughs> I would try to be very strategic about this and when everybody was running to the aisles to check to see if there was toilet paper or paper towels You're I was actually in. running
1: running to Google the um,
0: the birthday party section and I was getting birthday themed napkins to replace my paper towel deficiency and I think it worked. It worked great.
1: Um, so I think we got to, we got to pause for a second and, and head back. Cause I just typed in public com. Yeah. And I, I'm looking, I'm, this is looking pretty. Wow. I mean, you said what <laughs> the Costco of millennials, we have personal care, household grocery, vitamin supplements. First thing I clicked on naturally were snacks. Looks like they got chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. And <laughs> that's the reason that's why,
0: badass. you know, The Costco is because, I mean, there is like a membership fee, uh, but there is luckily if you're like, oh, well, you know, it was good until you said membership fee. There's a two week free trial. And I definitely have used it because because of the circumstances, they've limited the amount that you can purchase. And so Uh originally I just ordered, you know a two ounce bottle of hand sanitizer and then one two pack of paper towels. And then it got delivered. And I was like, Oh, that was okay. Maybe I should try it again. So I just did a second order in the second week. Um, and this time I did another thing of hand sanitizer, another two pack of paper towels, which I think I'm good on that front. And then I added, um, Trash bags and then oh what else did I oh hand soap cause I didn't have any hand soap. I've just been using hand sanitizers. And my free trial is up in four four days. So I may do one last order. But then also in the grand scheme of things, you kinda know how I roll. Like I'm I'm big into the e commerce space. Or well, not right. big, but I'm really interested in it. So I may actually hang on to their membership um, just to see, you know, how things... Because, I mean, because there are, like, food items as well. Right. um, But kind of going to their food. So, my Savala oven, I use pretty much... It was kind of like a when I'm lazy basis um, for their meal plan service. So, typically, I mean, they have integrations with a lot of food brands. um, And so... You know, anything you buy from Trader Joe's, Tostino's, um, Tombstone pizzas, all those barcodes are pre-programmed into the Tawala oven. So you just scan it and then it automatically knows the optimal cooking settings um, for that particular food item. So on average, I would do like three meals a week and those would be like, oh, if I didn't feel like having to like prepare something, I just wanted to... Scan it, throw it in the oven, and just go. Um, I've since upgraded my plan to, I think, 12 meals a week. So it pretty much covers me for lunch and dinner six days a week. Um, And I still have, you know, my frozen pizzas and pizza rolls. You can't ever, you know, throw those away. Uh, And then some days I just, just get a sandwich. So it has me covered. I think I may try to decrease it a little bit um, because I actually have to throw away two meals. I don't think it had anything to do with um, the amount of food that I had. It was just that I picked some things and they were very much like a lot of vegetables and a lot of greens that I usually don't eat. So I was like, um. But the six that I just got, oh my goodness. I would just say for <laughs> anybody who is thinking, oh, I won't, you know, like I don't really like to cook, but I also don't like to eat out as much because I haven't, you know, I've done a few things on Postmates and DoorDash just because <laughs> I I've wanted to support some restaurants. But right. I would say Whereas most people were probably like cooking in and not eating out a lot. And then now they're eating out a lot and not cooking so much. I'm like the inverse. I ate out so much before this and now I'm eating in all the time because I literally, I mean, you get the food. A lot of times it has like very minimal preparation. Like I did this um, glazed salmon last night in the oven and all I had to do was open this pack, drizzle it on the salmon, and just put it in the oven, and it it knew what to do from there. Um, so, I mean, th- that's been pretty great. Um, but I mean, as far as as far as the food goes, I think I've been been in pretty good shape. I guess going back into you know the state that we're in right now, and I wanted to ask you this early, but I didn't get to it. So, like, what are you doing? To kind of fill up your time when you're bored, Um, because obviously there's not a lot to go out and do.
1: (laughs) Yes. So at first, I kind of had been studying a bit, trying to. I I think business school is something that to me that's appealing. So I've been focused on that a lot, but it's it's an interesting circumstance being that all the test centers have closed. I just got word that uh, the the actual online version of this pretty intense exam is about to be administered starting Monday. But (laughs) following with that word, I guess in fishbowl, my buddy was telling me he had heard about that instead of getting uh, the normal scratch paper that you would write on, you know, take notes, solve problems that you're getting like this internet text browser that I'm guessing you're going to be drawing with your mouse and maybe using like the cursor to input words. So, Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> so yeah, that had been my focus, but now I've actually been kind of just playing around and designing up a few apps to work on the skills, you know, kind of try and train my mind a bit, thinking like very more small details and trying to kind of expand out on, on that sort of thinking. And I'll give you another example is like learning more about how, let's say, uh, a cinematographer or like a YouTube creator goes through each and every step to get to their final product. So I'm kind oh, of just kind of studying. You know, I'm
0: I'm not, I'm not a YouTube. I've never been a YouTuber, but interesting story. I actually know a lot about that process. Um, you know, in a, a very similar way, kind of, um, you know, like you were saying, like you get to a point where you get intrigued by something and, you say, "I just want to. I just want to sit on the edge of, you know, the river and watch the fishermen fish."
1: Right, and right.
0: you know, I've been in that situation for a lot of different things. Some of them, I'm like, "How did I even end up here in the first place? Um, and why am I here?" But then there are some that I'm like, "Okay, I'm actually genuinely intrigued by this, regardless of whether or not I use this information or not." I want to learn the information. Right. And, right. you know, YouTube is one of those things where, like I said, I don't have a video on YouTube today, which, I mean, that kind of shocks me a little bit. But um was an ecosystem that I studied very closely um, for a few years, not not even like long ago, like recently, um, and really got to connect with like a lot of people in the industry and like just kind of watch and observe and see how people, I guess, transgress through the industry. And right. yeah, it's definitely super interesting. And it's one of those things where it, like you can learn everything and that's still just the tip of the iceberg because I'm still blown away by some of the stuff that I pick up on. I'm like, I didn't I didn't know that was a thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's it's interesting. But yeah, nothing too much, man. It really it really is tough because I had some ideas to kind of work on creating my own sort of, sort of little video projects and then we just got quarantined down. So let's see if we can uh, <laughs> create some some mock apps. I definitely, uh, I've been thinking about that podcast space a lot and it seems that, I, and, I'm, and I'm trying to download a few of the competing apps, not just like Apple Podcasts or Spotify and, and see what really is going on. But I, I just I struggle to understand why there's no user listening metrics. Um, I mean, I'm just, I'm still just so baffled on that. Like I know well, the issue is to. that it's
0: it's so segregated. Um, so I'll give you example. So, um, Anchor was an app that I used when I first started off in podcasting. Uh, when I went out like one of my friends. Wanted to kind of produce one as a joke, and it was just like the easiest thing that could, you know, end to end take us where we want to go from start to finish. Right. Anchor is really good because they do pretty much mass distribution, so on all the um, the major platforms, and then some smaller niche. Oh, they'll handle well. that. Yeah, and then they report back the data to you as well. Oh, the issue is that like. It's not, it's not like one of those things where like it's just like everybody does it. Um, the option that I use now isn't necessarily that way um, because, you know, if you went to all these things manually, like if you went to, um, I think Apple used to call it Podcast Connect um, and then, you know, Spotify Podcast and then Google Podcast, which I don't even know how to manually go directly to google and upload a podcast i just only know it ends up there if you use one of these distribution platforms Mm -hmm. but they will individually give you the listener data and then it's up to you to aggregate it all together but then the issue is like not everybody reports the same metrics like obviously you get listens um but then some report you know subscribers the percentage of listeners who are subscribers versus not subscribers Uh, the average listen time, you know, those type of things, but not everybody um, reports all the same metrics the same way. And so you kind of have to pick and choose. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the issue. Um, And I mean, that could be um, a gap in the space right now. It's like, is there literally just a reporting dashboard that you can connect all these distribution services to if you don't go to, something like anchor that does automatically if someone just went to Spotify, just went to Apple, just went to Google, how do they tie all those back
1: in? So, uh, yeah, what I'm thinking, what I'm thinking though is of, of like a, a personal user, like me as a listener, like, yeah. Have you noticed that take, take for instance, Spotify's like year in review. Or this this past year, I guess was a decade. So they give you all that cool info. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't. I think I I think they did capture some basic podcast info, but I don't think they captured much. But imagine if you had a personal sort of dashboard, and then and even a recommendation engine on top of that, to where you could like yeah. do a couple of your own parameter tweaking scenarios. So that say say for instance, like you you listen to three main podcasts, and they were like they had four or five different like attributes like categorize them to where like you could weight a few things and basically be recommended something, even if it was in within that own subject, but not not like a totally random video, but I think something a bit more in tuned and categorized or for, for like their own discover weekly, but like an an up and coming guy, maybe I'm, I'm not sure. I know that that's kind of a ramble, but.
0: The issue with it is I don't think Spotify at this moment, I mean, maybe they do now. I just don't think it's obvious to somebody not at Spotify what their stance is yet <laughs> yeah. on how much they want to pour into podcasting. Because, I mean, they technically did buy Anchor, but right. it's not, it wasn't an integration at all. It's just we bought it because we understand podcasting is a big business. But then it's like sitting to the side. So, I mean, it helps them get more um, podcasts onto Spotify because more people are going to use Anchor now. And so by virtue, it's going to end up on Spotify. Mm -hmm. But it still doesn't it doesn't have the same Spotify kick that it has when you listen to music, because I think their music algorithm is on like on point times. 10. 100%. Um, but then podcasts is like you can find it's like when you walk into a store and you have some, it's like, hey, can I help you? And then you have others <laughs> yeah. that are like, Let me know if you need something. And I think that's that's Spotify's approach to and is let me know if you find something you like and I'll let you listen to it.
1: And yeah, it does seem like they want to be more of a platform for I think people to create on. And worry about that rather than being necessarily like the designated. I'm sure they want to be the designated place to stream from as for like normal consumers. But um, I feel like there's some real easy wins in this podcast space. And maybe it takes being like a sole company to focus on that.
0: Yeah. And maybe, maybe Luke, we could be, you know, a few weeks away from some giant press release that they did. it, But it's like you just never know until they either happen or they don't happen.
1: Right. Yeah. I I got a few ideas, so I'm definitely going to be showing you those over the the coming weeks. Hopefully I can like kind of get a little rapid prototyping on this, this little idea. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm all for
0: a good rapid prototype. I don't know why, but (laughs) just, just grind my gears just a little bit. Um, So I kind of want to go back to something you said, and I don't know if you did this intentional, but I think you, you did this and I pick up on this a lot with people. It's like how they phrase certain things. And you said that going to business school was something that was appealing to you. And I feel like you put emphasis on, it's appealing to me. Was that intentional or the, or am I like reading into that too much?
1: Uh, Probably a bit reading into it too much. I'll be, <laughs> I'll be honest, it's a bit of a, a tough topic because it's just – uh, the whole entire, let's just say, for main business school, I'm, I'm mainly talking about like a an MBA, a two year MBA, and it, it's just going down an absolutely insane process. Like about every one of these universities is, they're looking at declined applicants, they're trying to get anyone signed up, extending the the deadlines to apply, <laughs> and it's kind of a unflattering look on the really the the degree in the schools and some of that. So I, I'm, I meant more appealing is like, eh, maybe it's starting to lose some of its appeal. Because I, I, if you asked me a couple months ago, I would have been like, yeah, because I'm a, as someone who thinks like, this is the, the next route, the next step.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Ideally, if you, you know, not to put you on the spot, but like if there was a way you can get into your dream program, or if you have like a top three, what would those be?
1: That's, that's a good question. So <laughs> I only ask good questions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I think they're, they're all, once you're in that like top 20, top 25, most of them should be able to help get you the outcome because they'll have all the similar alumni networks, etc. And I think even cost is generally going to be the same, but so so kind of what I'm getting at is kind of the location matters a lot to me. And then the the post industry location. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's some I really do have some interest in robotics, but I don't know if necessarily I'm going to wanna, you know, have a career in Pittsburgh, being Carnegie mm-hmm. Mellon there. So so top three based on like professional interest. Definitely one right now looks like Northwestern Kellogg. They're they're kind of like this universally accepted best in marketing program yeah like that's just the brand new uh brand image for that school they also have a flipping beautiful campus you get the proximity to chicago i don't know how to deal with the cold but and and yeah i met with a few of the students and they were just like really big on on introduction on class collaboration not necessarily the same things you might experience so definite number one there northwestern Uh, i'd say probably number two has to be mit okay Uh, Again, you're saying dream school, so I, I'm flirting with the best here. But yeah, hey, if you're gonna you <laughs> go for it, go go for it. Yeah, so like being, even though I come from a normal business background, like I'm supremely interested in robotics, and mm-hmm. you got to just know that that's that's the school for it. They also have uh, a lot of flexibility to where you could take some classes across. Across uh, different colleges, so for instance, their most popular classes probably introduction to like neural networks or something like those along those lines, and it might be like thirty percent people in, let's say, normal engineering or computer science, thirty percent grad students, whatever. Mm-hmm. So that that would probably be the number two, and just to get that te- kind of technical immersion that you don't always come by with, uh, unless you enter that really like an uh, engineering discipline focused uh, job. I don't know if I if I really truly have a three man. I would say maybe UCLA, just because I love Los Angeles. It's kind of where I grew up. They, I I would think that is your best route to get into the content side of things, and that for me, you know, an opportunity to maybe collaborate at Google, at Twitch, going to be part of the like product team, or even as you were saying, like looking in some of the esports orgs that are on the rise. Oh, dude, don't get me started. <laughs> don't give me start on esports. We'll be here all day. Yeah. But I, I think the natural place for most of most of the media area you have to have to look towards uh Hollywood and UCLA is like knocking on the door. But it, it's a tough decision to think about it because the truth is you don't always need it, but it, it's something with a couple of you know, a decade down the line sort of outcomes and benefits you'll probably notice. Talking the degree as a whole. Yeah. So, kind of, you know, looking
0: at you painting the picture of like network and, you know, just that environment being a big selling point for business school for you. Looking back on who you know and what you know now, if you could go back and position yourself to be at a certain business school with a certain person, what school would that be? Who would it be and why? Oh,
1: that's you're talking about like a certain undergraduate school or any school um, or looking in the future? I would say
0: definitely in the, like in the past uh, I'm, I'm hesitant, hesitant to say business school just because I feel like there are so many brilliant minds that didn't go to business school, let alone right. some of them go to undergrad. <laughs> and so I don't want to put you in a box. So I'll just leave that part open-ended.
1: Right. Yes. well, maybe I'll, I'll give two little responses there. Uh, it seems like just the the people coming out of Stanford Business School are absolutely out of this world, and so I've I've learned a bit about a guy named Sebastian Turin, and so I think he he is uh, he, he's the guy who spearheaded Google's Project X, like the their quote unquote moonshot group that okay, are all these wilds like. They, yeah, they call them moonshots again because the, the likelihood is just so incredibly low, but that if they were to succeed, they could like remarkably change the world. And so this guy, Sebastian Turin, used to head that group, was incredibly successful there, and then he went on to found Udacity. So I'm sure you're, okay. you're yeah. of course, familiar with them. And then he also founded an electric, um, I guess, I don't know if it's like not, it's not single engine or per se, but single passenger jet like, I think it's a vertical takeoff and landing, uh, VTOL. So yeah, look it up. It's called Kitty Hawk. I think Kitty Hawk flights or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you. So Kitty Hawk is a place in North Carolina. And so I think it's known for its wind. It's also might be where those Wright brothers were like flying and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's got its roots there, but yeah, this, the, the kind of vehicle this guy's making, and it's like a, it's, it's a lesser known Jack Dorsey, but to be the CEO of two just incredibly positive companies. Yeah. yeah I want to, I want to know what's behind that guy, <laughs> but, uh, just from a pure undergrad, uh, maybe just cause we're also sitting here in Texas, but who Matthew McConaughey. I mean, <laughs> imagine <laughs> just imagine being next to a guy who's now like, he, he's really had his college roots ever since he, he became, you know, a worldwide famous, famous actor, but he's, uh, you know, he's now like a, working at the school and teaching courses in like culture or something along those lines. He's like, yeah, that's
0: like the face of the university now.
1: And yeah, he's had his funny moments. And obviously, a super talented guy, but I, I would really like to collect someone's perspective who seems to, you know, be humble despite all of his uh, success. He still feels like a humble and definitely an authentic person. Who knows though? Never met him. Never met him. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. So, you know, just kind of going back off of, you know, moonshot scenarios, if you will, if you were to get into somewhere like MIT, study robotics at this current moment, do you have kind of a a passion industry or idea that you would, you know, right off the
1: bat be gunning for an opportunity and something like that? Yeah, no doubt. So really, as you said earlier, man, it's easy to get, even if you're not fully vested, it's really easy to go down these interests and want to just learn more. Unfortunately, there's so many fascinating things, but I think some of the area I'd really like to explore is, um, the content creation from like a technology lens. So like the drones, the filmmaking, the cameras, then all the way down to like the software, the editing and the process, so I, I'd like to have like a techno- technological understanding about maybe maybe some of the, the pieces of hardware that go into that, but I'd also like to be some person on the the relations side to work with the the ultimate creatives and creators, you know, executing on some interesting projects. So I think that kind of puts me into a place where I'm looking at some aviation uh, as well as just some general general like uh, creative software. It's kind of kind of where I'm headed. Hoping that. yeah.
0: I would just say, from you know, looking at not large scale but small scale, I think there's this large gray area, specifically at YouTube, and you will you will learn the more you learn about the industry that on the front end of you have people that are slowly you know going up the steps. And it's like, oh, I started off with this small point of shoot, and now I want like a Canon 70D, and now I want like this. (laughs) I want a red camera, and you know, I gotta have a drone. And you will realize that once you get to a certain point, because there there is unfortunately for YouTube this really unfortunate space where um, you grow so big, but yet not everything else grows. Um, in the same linear pattern as you do, mm-hmm. uh, and that's been you know one of the bigger things. So I guess to you know we kind of talked about this early, but to go into depth, so in in depth into what I was talking about earlier, I went to um a few years in a row this conference in in Anaheim um called VidCon, which is okay, really yeah. like the South by Southwest but for YouTube. Um, awesome and. I would just tell you straight up, they hate, they have a love-hate relationship with YouTube, especially that time in particular, and then recently. Um,
1: You're talking the conference or yourself? The content creators.
0: Oh, okay, um, yeah. Right. Hated YouTube, mainly because of some of the stances they were taking and how they operated slash treated creators. Um and then, from the business side of it of certain creators had um CPMs locked in, mm-hmm. and then the next year they got cut drastically like and when I say drastically, I mean like anywhere from twenty five to fifty percent, and then two years after that they got slashed again. so if you were somebody who started off in the beginning. Four years later, you're making 25% of the ad revenue that you were making at some point. Oh, wow. And then they got to the point where they were like flat out just disqualifying people based off an algorithm. And then you would have to do like manual reviews uh, to get that back. The issue was that, you know, it's kind of like if you were to get arrested in front of your boss, it's like. Oh, well, you know, they like you were innocent, so they let you out, but like it also happened in front of your boss, and so you can't get that back. Um, right. And the whole thing about YouTube is like the most important time after you upload a video is the first 24 hours. Um, and if it doesn't happen in that, it's not gonna happen. And so if you upload a video, they use their algorithm, which is like instant, they give you, you know, they basically disqualify you from monetizing a video. And you have to wait three days for a manual review, and they're like, "Oh,
1: our bad, is it's fine now." And like, will your video be essentially still live? Like it has to be live during that approval. Yeah, process? so it'll be
0: live, and so all the views will accumulate, but the ad revenue doesn't. But it's not like Google isn't charging people for that ad revenue. So it's right. It, it was just like a lot of you know, um kind of push back with that. And so then a lot of people really just stop investing so much into the production of YouTube videos, just because once you cross a certain threshold, you, like can afford that, to, right? yeah, you can't afford to, but why would you? Um, because the kind of the business of YouTube now is more so an ad revenue business for the creators than it is now for YouTube. A lot of people right. now are using their YouTube as like a secondary business work stream. So it used to be you signed up for YouTube and like that was your bread and butter. Like you were a professional YouTuber. And now people are signing up for YouTube to grow their following, to start a merch business, to advertise it on their YouTube. And so now YouTube is still kind of a vital point in that, but it's no longer like the anchor point in everything right. they're doing. they you have these people that are starting clothing companies and makeup lines and, you know, releasing all of these crazy things that's dependent on YouTube, but it's not necessarily dependent upon the ad revenue. I mean, because you have so many people now and pretty much the percentage now is that most people, their ad revenue, and I mean, even I'm talking about like large creators with anywhere from 15 to 20 million followers on youtube (laughs) that's a lot their their ad revenue is less than 10 percent of what they made wow that it's interesting and so from their point of view a lot of people they get like a nice canon camera and maybe you know a dji phantom drone and call it a day like you won't see a lot of people you know trying to get like a red camera to record and 4k or you know those really big commercial drones to i would say if anything people are slowly like regressing it's like once you get to the point it's like all right i've made it. you like slowly start to i mean i i know just because i've like watched that space for so long i know people that will say you know what i'm gonna record this vlog on my iphone today and it's nothing you can tell me
1: <laughs> i've yeah, it seems like one if if you have your following really the the content quality is is less important than the frequency because we're all just hungry for that next bite but you know there's there's a few people a few like travel specific uh, YouTube accounts that I really went after, and the, it seems like maybe nine, twelve months, fifteen months before a next release, and it'll be sort of a three, three to ten minute long clip, and it's just you can you can tell how much effort goes into the process. So, oh, it, yeah. it's if exciting, but it's it's, it's crazy the different attitude goes It's like not
0: even in the same same category. Uh, I mean, because those people. I mean, legit, like, so take back everything I said. They very well pay like 20 grand to have a a red 4K camera, um, (laughs) have the large commercial drones. I've actually seen video projects where people have like, I mean, essentially started like temporary production companies because they've needed like a commercial drone operator, a commercial drone camera operator. Uh, Because the the shots they're getting are so tight, you can never have the same person who's controlling the camera, controlling the drone flight path as well, like um, cinematographers. And then on top of that, editors, and then on top of that, color graders, because everything has to be, like, you have to be a pro in the one thing that they're asking you to do. So literally, they pick up people. You don't edit, you don't shoot, you don't do anything (laughs) other than color grade. And I'm just like, but then you look at it and it's like the best five minutes of your life. And you're like, how did I get there? Like, I'll tell you two, um, one, Matt Como, which I like because he has kind of blended himself into like the non-travel, like non-hockey like high quality channels also like you'll you know occasionally see him and you know a random vlog from somebody else that he just knows just because you know when he's in LA people are just um network and then Sam Calder is that's who I'm thinking of yeah and I would say those two like their editing skills are like absurd it feels like I'm watching a sci-fi movie but it's all real
1: no doubt. Sam Colder was who I was thinking of, too. Uh, persons just got the package. But you know, it's crazy. So I've been hearing this whole time. Uh, not this whole time, but I, I think since sort of last earning cycle, maybe, it was kind of Google's finally going to break out. Or alphabet, better yet, it's finally going to break out YouTube's revenue, and so they did, and it was like fifteen billion or something. But then at the same time, I think uh, Instagram's revenue was finally exposed too, and it was something maybe along the lines of like twenty billion in revenue. But I think the big takeaway that that everyone was like explaining the difference, the disparity was so YouTube apparently maybe uh, takes or gives back the creatives like fifty percent or some percentage, kind of similar to what you were saying. So it's probably the the amount you specified based on like ad ad revenue, and it's like uh, Facebook just collects or sorry not Facebook, well I guess it would be parent company Facebook, yeah, but they just collect the whole damn thing from Instagram.
0: <laughs> of course, why would they give it back? It's Facebook. Yeah,
1: so it's, it's it's interesting to think about that, but it's kind of like the two necessary evils to uh, kind of like start your start your stuff in in the US circa circa twenty twenty, even though yeah. like uh, the new the new guys are coming up. Like, definitely TikTok well, I just think, be interesting. You know,
0: it's, it's interesting because, you know, now you have more options. But unless you, you know, are willing to start from scratch or you're just starting, it's so hard to abandon a platform and just go somewhere else unless there's, like, some kind of financial interest to mitigate that. Because, right. I mean, if you realistically... The top creators at YouTube like got shafted over the last five or six years. A lot of them make multi million dollars a year, could have easily. I mean, Luke, I've, I don't know why I'm saying like, like I just got so aggressive, but (laughs) um, you know, I've done a lot of research on like what are the alternative solutions. And to be honest, there's really like, I I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's not that hard anymore. If you were like, hey, especially if you were, you know, in a position where it's like, I'm creating video content every day, where right. you have like daily vloggers, or uh, you have people that, um, I don't know, are kind of in these content creation groups where you know maybe they don't create every day, but amongst the group. There's like a new video out every day.
1: And what would you define? What would you define those content creation groups like? Because that's an uh, interesting so you look idea. At,
0: yeah. You look at groups like uh, Team Tan, the Hype House, uh, Sway House. I'm not sure if you know what any of those are.
1: I I don't, but I think I can like I can understand like what a so, YouTube channel be like. Take uh, the slow motion guys. That that's kind of a, it's a business, right? But I guess it's like. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so, like, I mean, the Try Guys, they recently separated from BuzzFeed to do their own thing.
1: You take those, you know, those kind of groups, and... Would the group be say, individuals? Hey, like, would it be... Would you take them, or are you saying, on, like, an individual level, but because they hang together? and like... Well,
0: I mean, so, you, it's multiple... I, at the end of the day, it's a little and so there has to be some kind of structure put in place. But if you look at somewhere like Team 10... Okay. Um, they, from the get-go sign a contract to give over a certain percentage of their earnings to the overall organization like you just do um right and then you have others who form that kind of agreement later on but i mean if you think about it, like i literally was just watching an advertisement today nbc is starting their own streaming service called peacock and i'm like <laughs> terrible you man. know before we know it 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 is, but it isn't. Like if you look at the NBC logo, it's literally a peacock. Um, <laughs> and you know, I'm, I'm one for like the creative, like one word, like eye catching names. I'm I'm all for that. But if you look at that, like of course it's NBC, and I mean they probably went through, you know, a certain technology provider have a huge technology stack to do like live broadcasts and then you know the recorded shows and whatever. But I literally looked at this four years ago, which is probably so many other easier ways now than it was then. It's so easy to start the next Hulu or Netflix. And I'm saying literally for like three to $500 a month, an online site where you can either have a paywall or free or run ads. And they will white label a iOS, Android and Apple TV application and like that's it all you have to do is provide the video content you own the rights to it the advertising uh revenue from it you control everything and it's like how has nobody just broken off and just said i'm just not gonna i'm just not gonna do and that goes back to what i was saying like it's so hard to just say like i'm just gonna quit youtube and go do this thing because you already have twenty thousand subscribers but there is not necessarily anything that reflects that if you say today, Hey, I'm going and I'm starting, I don't know, pomegranate TV, not all 20,000 subscribers are going to roll on over into that. And so it's like a huge risk. And so a lot of them stay with what's safe because I mean, it's like, I could either kind of take the cut, but like, have it or I can go somewhere else and get it all but the pod may end up being much smaller than this small piece that I have here and so that's why you see a lot of them kind of using, right. using YouTube in tandem with um, you know other ventures that are outside of YouTube but, but then you look on the other side that you have which you know going back to my first love which is esports and you have people that will literally jump ship in a heartbeat
1: um, for the contract because there's yeah.
0: so much money to go around now that it's okay that you lose half your subscriber base because you at the same time just doubled your income in like one day so like it doesn't matter and by the time you get to the point where you know that one windfall paycheck is kind of shriveling up you built yourself back up to the point that you were originally on the previous platform I mean, because you got to think about it. Ninja was doing so great on Twitch. Like, he was literally pretty much Mr. Twitch. And then, you know, sure enough, Mixer comes along, writes a check, and there you have it. No more Ninja on Twitch.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, wrote the check, but also sort of gave him the keys to the kingdom, right? They said this is our- Yeah, and see, that's the thing. Like, like if, 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 if,
0: if it was guaranteed that you wouldn't lose your position- to you know where you were, is it makes sense? And I feel like, to be honest, there is no other YouTube out there to do that,
1: right? Um, and at the same time, it's at days end, YouTube is still a giant discovery engine too. So yeah, I mean, you, uh, yeah, you know, like it's not even a way video way. service;
0: it's a search engine. So
1: I, I think, like, so do you know much about Substack? Have you heard any of that? No, I haven't. So I've been, I'm sure you're subscribed to like 20 newsletters by now, but (laughs) (laughs) I actually just saw your, you tweeted something about the 2 PM Inc one. I'll, I'll put that on a pause, but that's probably one of my favorite Twitter follows web Smith, man. This guy knows, knows it all from e-commerce perspective.
0: I have to give it to him. He really does.
1: But yeah. So Substack is sort of like a, a Patreon for newsletters basically. And I think you, I don't, I don't know if you have to charge or anything, but you can. And so you could charge whatever you want to upwards to thirty or whatever a month. And uh yeah, it's basically an independent like publishing platform for like newsletters. So there's some really popular ones that have already left uh their own solution to to go to Substack. And I think now now is the first like last week or the week before maybe there's a first article or comments I've seen where newsletter people have actually partnered together to offer their as as like a bundle. So it, it's interesting to see that, but it would be also more interesting to see an extension of what you said. Like not only do these channels that have their own merch shops online and e-commerce platforms, like not only do they have that, but you can actually stream their content on something that they like would truly own.
0: Yeah. And I, it's, I, I guess because I'm sitting outside of the fishbowl while simultaneously standing in front of like <laughs> 10 other fishbowls. And so I'm sure, like, if you're in the industry, you, like, you're not really keeping up. I think because where I'm at is I'm a person in love with technology that follows certain industries. And for them, they're just a person in the industry and say they don't really understand the technology that's backing it. And so for me, it looks so easy to say, like, hey, I'll just, you know, do the YouTube thing for, like, two or three years, gain, like, you know, a million subscribers out because realistically, I think it would translate conservatively to probably like a 30 to 40% translation, which realistically, if you think about it, if you had a million subscribers Mm -hmm. and you were for sure, you can take over 300,000. If you just keep doing the like derivatives in your head. So Just you—you've taken your three hundred thousand, throw away YouTube. Now you have your own platform. Mm -hmm. Well, not everybody who like comes over it is gonna be that much bought into it because they may get there and be like, "Oh, well, this isn't what I thought it was gonna be." Oh, they changed, or you know, he's not doing enough content, so I still have to go to YouTube too, or you know, he just brought me over here to sell me some merchandise. even with those numbers, and you say you bring over three hundred thousand, and then you lose half of that, you still have a hundred and fifty thousand eyes on you. And then just thinking about, you know, like e-commerce numbers, you have a hundred fifty thousand eyes. You put out a product. Literally, if like ten percent of the people who saw it bought, it's just like the numbers still make sense to me. That's fifteen thousand people that would buy, like so. In my mind, it makes sense, but also at the same time, I feel like I don't have the other piece of it to really say if it actually does make sense or not.
1: Right. It's still a risk at day's end, too. Change is, is a tough thing.